This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let's pray. Indeed, a joyful and pleasant thing it is to be thankful. Father, thank you that we are called your beloved. Pray, fill us with your Holy Spirit now. Help us to hear your voice, know who we are, and live lives that bring glory to you. For Jesus' sake, amen. Please sit down. So I became a Christian when I was about 19. And soon after, we went on a family vacation to France. And we stayed in this nice little self-catered property in the Dordogne. You think, ooh, fancy. But just to remind you, it's a lot cheaper and easier to get to France if you start in England. <laughs> but I loved it, and I loved the smell of the old French wood polish and the hum of the heat on the terracotta tiling and the crunch of freshly baked baguette and the smell of a nearby swimming pool. But even better than all this was reading the book of Ephesians. And I remember lying in the cool inside in the afternoon and just being amazed by this glorious vision of what it meant to be a Christian. Here are some examples. Truly glorious to be truly wanted. In Ephesians 1 verse 4, Paul writes, He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. In other words, before anything started, there must have been a conversation within the Trinity in which the Father said to the Son, Wouldn't it be wonderful if we made a Katie or Doug or Noel? Or you, chosen before the foundation of the world, truly wanted. And it was glorious to be truly forgiven. Chapter 1, verse 7, in Christ we have the forgiveness of our trespasses, the mistakes of our past, all washed away. Forgiven and forgotten by God, a clean start. Truly wanted, truly forgiven, and it was glorious to be truly fearless. Paul prays we may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe? We can have hope. We need not fear the future. An inheritance is a gift, not something we deserve, it's something that he wants to give us. Fearless, not afraid of the future. We are safe. Fearless, forgiven, wanted, and truly significant. For we are what he has made us, verse 9, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Good things for us to do that he has prepared. Truly significant. And all these truths flow together into a Christian, a life who is able to love well, love self-sacrificially, free to do so because we know we're truly wanted and forgiven and significant and fearless 
And a Christian who lives this and believes this is a human fully alive, like a bicycle, perfectly tuned, flying along the gap trail. So that was about 20 years ago. And here's the thing. Reality is disappointing. It's a beautiful vision, but it's not one I see much lived out in real life with real Christians. Many struggle with feeling unwanted, unforgiven, fearful, insignificant. What went wrong? So on our big bike bike ride from D.C. to Pittsburgh, came back last weekend, Um, there were about 25 of us, um, kind of all generations, but especially high schoolers, Um, and uh, we we aimed to raise $5,000 for Haiti H2O, which is a lovely local little non-profit which is serving various kind of poor communities in Haiti, and obviously do keep praying for Haiti with the outcome of the earthquake there yesterday. But we raised this $8,000 to help um, build a school, as well as building a lot of community amongst us and having a wonderful time and seeing some faces here this morning. But at one point, one rider, who shall remain anonymous, crashed into the back of another rider, also anonymous, um, and a bike was broken. Now, here's the thing. From a distance, It didn't look broken. Parked up next to the other bikes, it had two wheels, it had a saddle, it had handlebars, it looked okay. But look closer and you can see the snapped spokes and the trashed derailleur. And if you try and ride it, you're not going anywhere. And many of us who may look like Christians, park next to other Christians, hanging out with other Christians, are still aware that there's something wrong, something broken. Instead of an exhilarating life, wanted, forgiven, fearless, significant, pursuing Jesus, there's a sense of just being parked, stuck. So what is the problem? So in this sermon, I'm just going to look at the problem and I think the solution in Ephesians 5. Ephesians chapter 5, read sonorously and with great gravitas by Jean. Um, The first five verses. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But fornication and impurity of any kind or greed must not even be mentioned among you, as is proper among saints. Entirely out of place is obscene, silly, and vulgar talk, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Be sure of this, that no fornicator or impure person or one who is greedy, that is, an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Hmm. So Paul was calling the church then, and maybe God is calling the church now, to live such lives of holy, self-sacrificial love that 
fornication and impurity and greed don't even come up in conversation. Completely absent from the community, done or discussed. But they were clearly significant issues then for Paul to need to address them, and maybe they're also significant today. And there are three words that Paul mentions twice, which we're going to focus on now. How do they break the spokes of our character? And these three words in the Greek are porneia, akathasia, and pleonexia. And the first is porneia, which may already be setting off alarm bells. According to biblical scholar Professor Andrew Lincoln, porneia is a broad term signifying general sexual immorality, but especially adultery and intercourse with prostitutes. And most English translations offer fornication or sexual immorality. And interestingly, in the very same chapter, in contrast to porneia, Paul calls husbands to, quote, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's commitment. That's faithfulness. Christ-likeness. And Paul quotes the Bible's foundational passage for marriage from Genesis. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And Paul's point is that anything outside this exclusive, committed, husband, wife, one, flesh, nurse, is porneia, sexual immorality, which in our cultural moment is really hard to hear and it's really hard to say. And it's certainly worth a longer conversation after the service. But I may have something to share later in this sermon. So pause, wait, Alex, what are we talking about? Where are we going? So I started by painting this glorious picture of this Christian life, this exhilarating life of being wanted, forgiven, fearless and significant, and then suggested reality is disappointingly different. Like busted bicycles, we may look okay from a distance, but we may be parked and broken. And why? And Paul was highlighting three things here. And the first was pornea, sexual immorality. And the second is akathasia, or impurity. One of the commentators, Professor Hana, shows the word indicates a general defilement of the whole personality, tainting every sphere of life. Now, to be honest, most modern Westerners, maybe like us, will struggle to feel the biblical categories of pure and impure, or being defiled. But perhaps we can resonate with this. When we feel somehow kind of whole and clean, and we can approach others and God with confidence. But when we avoid both, avoid God and avoid others because of something we've seen or done or has happened to us, that is that feeling of akathasia, impurity. Pornea, akathasia, and finally, one which we really get, pleonexia or greed. Greed is a concept we're familiar with. Um, Hana again, quote, used of one who is covetous for material things or just wants more of everything and of one who takes advantage because of position. Wow. Because we experience this in the structures and practices of everyday life. And encouraging us to want more of everything is fundamental to keep an economy growing with limited people. We get greed. We understand this. We get wanting more. 
But actually, I think all three are symptoms of a deeper problem. And there is something that unites them all, and it's clearest, perhaps, in greed and immorality. I mean, it could be described as the I want, I need, I want, I need drive. Self-serving sensuality rather than self-sacrificial love. And Paul names this deeper problem idolatry. When one covets a particular thing that becomes the center of his or her life and is worshipped in place of the creator. So let's ask ourselves this. What is the center of our lives? What do you really want? Really need? What do we daydream about? Or when were you surprised about how angry you were? What was threatened? What was lost? Because I think there is something that our generation covets and it has become the invisible center. And it is worshipped. And it's impossible to see because it is so universal. We swim in it like fish in water. And that thing that we want is not God, but happiness. I want, I need, I want, I need to be happy. And the pursuit of happiness has written into our Declaration of Independence. And our pursuit of happiness has been put on steroids by social media. One study on the effect of social media in young people's lives is called the happiness effect. How social media is driving a generation to appear perfect at any cost. And one student refers to the competition online as people wanting to show others that, quote, I'm in a better place than you are, and I want to prove that to you and show you that I'm extremely happy. But are we? Is this pursuit helping us? Or has the pursuit of happiness meant we have crashed the bikes of our characters and relationships? And we're missing out on the exhilarating Christian life of being and living truly wanted, forgiven, fearless, and significant. Instead, we've made an idol of happiness, and then that's manifested in sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. I want, I need. So what is the solution? So I'm going to offer you two words, and there's one word to believe and then one word to do, and they're both in our text. So here's the first. The word to believe is this, agapetos, beloved. Agapetos, writes Hana, means beloved or contented, but particularly referred to an only child to whom the parents had devoted all their love. In other words, because the child had received so much love, the child had the security of being loved and thus was contented. And believers must realize God's ability to extend his love to each of his children as if he or she were the only child. Wanted. Forgiven. Fearless. Significant. Agapetos. That's the word to believe. Do we believe this? Do we believe that we are beloved? How might we live differently if we did? What would that truth do to our anxieties? 
beloved? How might being beloved silence the inner yells of I want, I need, I want, I need? I know what you need, beloved, says the Lord. And as we accept our identity as beloved, we begin to accept God's structures for our relationships, for our character, for our covetousness. As the beloved, the much loved, maybe there is more happiness to be found walking in His ways, but not if we pursue happiness, only when we pursue Him. So Viktor Frankl, the Austrian neurologist and Holocaust survivor, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, wrote, happiness cannot be pursued. It must ensue. And it only does so as the unintended side effect of one's personal dedication to a cause greater than oneself. Or for Christians, it could be replace cause with creator with Father who sees and calls you agapetos, beloved. That's the word to believe, agapetos. And maybe it's a hard word to believe, looking in the mirror, looking at the past. What makes it believable? What will help us know it is true? What will help remind us of this, establish this in our hearts, so it's lived out and not just a word in our ears? It's the second word, the word to do. If agapetos is the word to believe, the word to do is this, eucharistia, thanksgiving. Verse 4, let there be thanksgiving, eucharistia. And in the New Testament, it almost always refers to thanksgiving to God. Instead of flippant speech that dishonors God, one should voice thanksgiving to God for who he is and what he has done. And doing so does remarkable healing work for the broken hearts, the broken bicycles of our hearts. As retired Anglican priest and academic James Leslie Holden puts it, whereas sexual impurity and covetousness both express self-centered acquisitiveness, thanksgiving is the exact opposite. And so it is the antidote required. It is the recognition of God's generosity because we know this, when we thank God for creation or for our creation, we see creation anew. When we thank Him for forgiveness, we experience that reality afresh. When we read Scripture and are reminded of who He is and what He has done, that also leads to thanksgiving, and it's so good for our hearts. And the louder our thanksgiving, the quieter becomes the, I want, I need, cry from the idol of happiness. But saturation marketing and social media demands you must be happy. How can we resist? I think what I would find really helpful is if there was, I don't know, kind of a place I could go in a certain time and be helped to be thankful. I don't know, somewhere where there could be some reading from Scripture reminding me of who God is and what He has done, some opportunity to confess and receive forgiveness, I mean, if I could sing with others songs that remind me of God's goodness, that would be so helpful. Oh, wait, that is what we're doing right now. And that's what we do every Sunday morning. And that is part of the solution. And you're here, and this is part of Eucharistia. And some of us may have already heard the connection. Wait a second, Eucharistia, the Eucharist? 
Holy Communion. The grand climax of our worship service is when we celebrate what Paul celebrates, the moment in which, Paul, in which Christ loved us and gave himself for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God as we receive the bread and the wine, the body and blood, broken on the cross for our sins, and we pray he may dwell in us and we in him. Beloved. The Eucharist reminds us we are beloved. And as beloved, we're prompted to Eucharistia, to thanksgiving. But we can also integrate thanksgiving into our daily routine. I mean, I noticed in the psalm, the first verse is like, it's good and pleasant, you know, and a good thing to give thanksgiving to God. So psalms are super helpful. Is there something you could read or listen to as you start the day to prompt thanksgiving? Maybe you have a friendship or a relationship where you can be intentional about this is a certain time where we're going to share what we're thankful for. You could have like a thanksgiving prayer tied in with a meal. You could write a journal of thanksgiving prayers. You could write a letter of thanksgiving to someone. You could just text someone something thankful. Because if we're not intentional about thanksgiving, I think we'll drift back into the I want, I need idolatry of happiness and we'll forget that we're beloved and we'll find that immorality impurity and greed deny us the exhilarating christian life that is on offer now at this point i have two alternative endings to the sermon um and i tried one outside in the tent and it actually worked okay so i'm going to try it again now essentially what i'm going to ask us to do is to stand up Thank you. Come on, you're an Anglican church. You've been used to told to stand up. Um, and I'm just going to create a time where I'd encourage you to share short words or prayers of thanksgiving. Let's get into the habit now. So we're going to pray a few short set prayers, a few sentences, words of thanksgiving as you feel led, and then I'll pray to close. Let's have a go. Lord, we thank, you. we thank you for all these gifts to us, your beloved, and pray by your Spirit that you would help us be thankful and show your goodness in our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.